listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Midtown. This is our sermon series on the Gospel of Luke. Peace be with you. Today's scripture reading is from Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen behind me. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy, Jesus, stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, as the deer pants for the water, so our souls need you, O Lord. And Father, we pray this morning that as we need a word from you, we pray that you by your spirit would help me to give your people a word. We pray that you would open our hearts to receive the implanted word which is able to save our souls. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was a small child, I visited a large amusement park with my family and some neighbors from our community. While I was there, my older but still young cousin was charged with the responsibility of watching me and, as my aunt said, not letting me out of her sight. But along the way, my cousin turned to me and said something along these lines. She said, Jarvis, stand here and wait by yourself as I ride the big kid ride with my friends. And off they went to enjoy the big kid ride, leaving me, a child, all by myself. And in doing this, my cousin disobeyed her mom when she gave her specific instructions. And I did, of course, what any hard-headed child would do at the time. I completely ignored my cousin, and I walked off, wandered by myself, and was lost for hours My aunt found out, and you don't know my aunt, but this aunt, she is intense, way more intense than I am. (laughs) 
And when she found out, oh yes, that her daughter let her favorite nephew wander off by himself and was lost, she panicked. But eventually, as the story was told to me as I got older, a security guard brought me to my aunt, and immediately her panic turned to relief. In our text this morning, Jesus' parents lose him, not at Kentucky Kingdom or an amusement park, but they lose him in Jerusalem for about three days when he was only 12 years old. And they traveled from Jerusalem to Nazareth after the feast of the Passover, thinking that Jesus was with them. But along the way, they discovered that Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. So they returned in a panic, and they found him after searching for three days. And they, frankly, they rebuked Jesus, and they asked him why he put them through this turmoil. And Jesus responded to them by reminding them that his father sent him to do his will, which was much more significant than being the son of Joseph and Mary. Now, when we come to a story like this, perhaps we might ask ourselves, what is the message of the story? If you remember last week, by the way, my my sermon is part two of what Pastor Jamal preached last week. So I'm going to say a lot of what he said last week because the story basically is saying the same, same thing. Well, remember that Luke has already demonstrated that Jesus is the Savior of the world. He's the Lord whose way John the Baptist prepared. He's the one who would bring salvation to both Jews and Gentiles. He's the one about whom the angels proclaim good tidings to the shepherds. He's the Christ. He's the Lord. He's the one for whom Simeon had been waiting before he died. The one who would be a light of salvation to the Gentiles. A light of salvation to Jews. The one who would fulfill God's redemptive promises. He's not simply the child of Joseph and Mary. Instead, he's the greater Solomon. He's the greater David. He's the greater Samuel. He's a wiser son than David. He's the Lord and Savior, the promised king of the world. So if you ask me, what's what's the basic message of the story? I think it's the same message that we saw last week. Jesus is the promised Savior of the world who grew strong under God's favor. I want to tell the story to highlight the point. So if you notice in verses 1 and 2, Luke says that his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. Joseph and Mary, they were good law-observant Jews. They followed the Old Testament Scripture. They go up every year to celebrate this important feast in the life of the people of God, known as Passover, that, that feast that memorialized God's redemptive purposes for his people, that feast that memorializes God delivering Israel from Egyptian slavery. And they they stayed there for several days. And Jesus, verse 42, was only 12. In verse 43, the feast had ended, and they began their journey back to Nazareth. And as they journeyed, they thought, Luke says, that Jesus, the child, verse 43, was with him. As you read the story, you know he's not. He stayed behind in 
Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. In verse 44, they, they found out, and they got anxious. They panicked. They were traveling likely with a large caravan of people. Some people they knew, some people they did not know. Jesus had relatives who traveled with them, but verse 44 says they were searching for him among the relatives and among their acquaintances. So some folks did not know Jesus personally. Verse 45 says they searched but did not find him. So in a panic, they returned back to Jerusalem, searching for him for about three days. And then finally, verse 46, they find him. They don't find him sitting around playing Xbox with his friends, right? I'm not throwing shade on Xbox. I like Xbox. Not very good at it, but I like it. But instead, verse 46, he's in the temple. And notice what he's doing in the temple. He is sitting among the teachers, verse 46. He's listening to them, and he's asking them questions. Isn't that fascinating? What kind of questions? was Jesus asking the teachers. He's probably asking them questions about the law and the prophets. Probably asking them questions about the Jewish scriptures. But if you notice in the text, he's not only asking them questions. They are asking him questions. Because Luke says, verse 47, that all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. You think about this for a moment. Jesus is having a Bible study with the teachers who have perhaps been studying Scripture for years, laboring in the Word of God, trying to discern the mysteries revealed in the law and the prophets. But Jesus was only 12 years old. He's a little child. He had not even reached the age of Jewish maturity, which was generally 13 And furthermore, he's from Nazareth. He didn't come from some famous rabbinic school. He didn't study, as far as we know, with any famous teachers of the day. He was an ordinary child growing up in a faithful, godly home, as we heard last week. And yet, we see him in the temple sitting with the teachers, answering their questions, asking them questions. On the one hand, Jesus is a childhood prodigy, right? I mean, he is God after all. On the other hand, he is 100% man, 100% God, 100% man who grew up in the scriptures, who, as we saw last week, grew in wisdom, who had a, a family, a mother and a father who taught him the word of God, Train him in the Scriptures. Let me say a practical word here related to this, and I'll return back to the narrative. Let me say a word to parents this morning. Parents, it is our responsibility to teach our kids to serve Christ at an early age and to teach our kids to love God's Word at an early age. Our role as fundamental discipler of our kids is the most important responsibility I think we have as parents. Of course, we have responsibilities to feed them, to clothe them, to treat them with respect, to put them in the best situations in life to be able to succeed 
and flourish. But we have a responsibility to teach our kids the Word of God. Praise God, as Pastor Jamal said last week, for our Sojourn Kids Ministries. Amen? Amen. And praise God for our S2 Ministries. Amen. And praise God for our Nursery Ministries. And praise God for the time and the resources that this church and people in this church invest into those ministries. But again, I want to echo our pastor from last week and say it's not the church's fundamental responsibility to train our kids in the Lord. It's a responsibility, but it's the parents' responsibility, right? Every generation needs to be immersed in the Word of God. And reading and learning Scripture at an early age are important for training our children in the Lord so that Bible reading becomes as normal for our kids as breathing. Are y'all still with me? If you're not a parent, don't tune out because you're also important here to help us. Our children need the Word of God to shape their minds and their hearts in Christ as they grow up in the Lord in a world opposed to the gospel. They need the Word of God more than they need an iPhone. No shade on iPhones. They need the Word of God more than they need NBA 2K. So you already know I play Xbox. I'm quoting games to you. They need the Word of God more than that. As a church, we pray And we work and we give so that every generation until Jesus returns can grow strong in the scriptures in our church. And we as parents, however, are the primary disciplers of our children. So so there's some basic things I think we can do as parents to help our kids to grow strong in the Lord. And, and, And by the way, this is basically the sermon this morning how to help our kids and ourselves have some broader applications later, but for now I'm focusing on families, how to help our kids grow strong in the Lord. I understand that every family is different. Every family dynamic is different. Everyone's schedules are different. Different things work better for small families than for large families and for younger kids than for older kids. My point is, it's important for parents and families to do what's best for your family instead of trying to imitate someone else's family. I don't know about you, but I get annoyed when someone says to me, this is the only way to do it. You got to do a catechism. That's that's the only way to be faithful to God. And I just want to say, show me one verse in the Bible that says that. So I'm not giving you prescriptions here. I'm giving you some suggestions, some, some ideas that might help you. As parents, one, this is not on the screen, by the way, so let's go old school and take some notes. (laughs) Make it a priority to read Scripture with your family, with our families. Two, if our kids are too young to read, consistently read a children's Bible to them that covers the Bible's major storyline. They're too young to sit still as you read the Bible story to them. Put Bible on audio that sings Scripture, that sings the Word of God. Right? Different things for different age groups. We need flexibility, don't we? Third, 
When we graduate from the children's Bible, we can move on to reading a, a, a big people's Bible from a translation that our kids will understand, not the KJV. Praise God for the people who risk their lives to translate the KJV. But I don't understand the KJV. Read them the NIV or some modern translation where they, where they hear the Word of God read to them over and over again. And ask them questions about what they heard. And let them talk about what they've learned as they heard you read it. Fourth, once they learn how to read themselves, encourage our kids to read the Bible and have a personal devotion for themselves. We want our kids spiritually, y'all still with me, to become independent of us. Just like we want our children to grow up and become gainfully employed, right? We don't want to support them the rest of their lives unless physically there's a reason they can't support themselves. So also spiritually, we want to help train them in such a way where they don't need daddy or mommy to say, you need to read your Bible today. But they're trained to hunger and thirst for God's Word. We want them to have the kind of spiritual aspirations that move them to read the Bible. So we encourage them. Read your Bible. Or ask them, have you read your Bible today? Not in some arrogant, self-righteous, holier-than-thou posture. Have you read your Bible today? I read all of Romans. But something like, have you read your Bible today? And if they say, yeah, then say, well, what have you learned? What is God teaching you? And the Lord can use that. And we do that over and over again. As parents, we should strive to read Scripture together with their families, with their kids. And this can be as simple as reading through a book of the Bible or since our sermon series is through Luke, our family's reading through the Gospel of Luke together. Family devotions don't have to be profound or even very long, but consistent. Our own family devotions, and just let me make a parenthetical statement here, I'm not putting my family forward as the example. We are not. I, I fail in many ways. And one way is, frankly, sometimes I fail in leading our family in the ways of the Lord. I'm a sinner, right? And get off your high horse. You're a sinner too. Y'all fail too, if you be honest. Let me acting like you don't fail. You're not having your devotions every night for five hours with your families. But one thing we try to do as a family is, is read Scripture together. So what we'll do for family devotions is we'll take turns reading. If, I, if I'm in a sharing mood, I'll let other people read. Sometimes they have to fight me over it. Not really, but, well, Sometimes. And we'll read a text. And then I'll make some comments about the text. And then we'll ask each other, do you have any thoughts about the text? Do we have any practical applications about the text? And sometimes we'll have long thoughts. Sometimes we'll have no thoughts. Sometimes we talk. Sometimes we just look at each other. And then we'll take prayer requests. On Saturday evenings, we try. We don't always do this, but we try to to take whatever sermon text Pastor Jamal will preach and we'll read through that text and then we'll talk about it as a family prior to the morning worship and then we'll pray through it together. 
But in addition to this, we'll also try to make it a rhythm to have spontaneous conversations about the Lord when we're chilling at home, riding in the car, or just hanging out as a family. Very simple, nothing, sh- nothing profound. Sometimes our devotions are 10 minutes, very short, as a family. The floors of our living room do not shake when we have family devotions. Smoke does not fill the room. Revival doesn't break out in J-Town. And heavenly lights do not shine into our living room. But the Lord works through those consistent moments when life is complex and things are going on in our lives. We read the Word of God. We talk about it together. And the Lord can use it and use it in our family's lives to convict us of our sin. We can use it in our lives to help us slow down and think together about Him. We can use it in our family's lives to conform us a little more into Christ together than we were conformed prior to reading Scripture together. These simple acts may seem irrelevant and worthless, but I think... If we do a little bit of Bible reading with our families together on a regular basis, over the course of time in our homes, this will add up to a lot of Bible knowledge in our souls, and we'll be more likely to leave a legacy of faith to the next generation. That's what it's all about, isn't it? Make disciples of all the nations starts at your zip code in your home. Now, let me encourage you here in this regard. Don't, feel, don't hear this as, as guilt-tripping. Don't feel shame. Don't feel guilt. And don't feel despair. If you struggle with reading the Bible or with leading your family in family devotions, don't hear my remarks as condemnation, but as an invitation. An invitation to ask the Spirit to show us new things in his word with their families and to remind us of old things that we maybe have forgotten. There are times in my life when we can do something as simple as read the Bible as a family and my son or wife can say something and I needed that word from God to remind me of the things that I learned from the beginning because as you get older, you forget the simple things of the faith. You forget And the Lord can use these moments to help us develop a God's eye view of reality. As the song said, no guilt, no shame. Guilt is not a fruit of the Spirit, by the way, nor is shame. But Jesus, back into the text, at the age of 12, shows us the importance of devoting our minds and our lives to the discipline of reading and studying Scripture in community with the people of God. As Pastor Jamal said last week, his, fam- his family, they weren't perfect. They were faithful. Jesus was perfect, but Mary and Joseph were not. And they're faithfully living their lives in obedience to God, faithfully teaching Him the Scriptures. Yes, teaching Him the Scriptures. Training Him up in the Lord. Jesus is fully God, yes, but he's also fully man. And as a child, he was under the authority of his earthly parents, whom his heavenly father 
gave the stewardship of entrusting them with raising Jesus until his public ministry. But as Jesus was studying scripture with the teachers, his parents had been frantically searching for him for three days. And they were, similar to my aunt, they were panicked. They were anxious and distressed because they'd been searching for him for several days, but they did not find their son. The, the ESV translation says son, but I, but I think the idea is they couldn't find their child. He's a little child. He's only 12 years old. Verse 48, they find him, however, and notice what they, what they say to him. His parents saw him, and they were astonished. They were shocked. And his mother said to him, Hear this, mamas. Y'all feel this, don't you? You carry that baby for nine months and you lose him? Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. This is what Mary is really saying. She's saying, Jesus... You've caused us much grief. That's, that's the verb. We were in grief. We were, we were grieving. That's the verb. You don't see it here, but that's the verb. They are in grief. They are anguishing because they think they lost their child. And by the way, Mary remembers, no doubt, God gave her that child, right? This is a gift from God in more ways than one, but they can't find him. Jesus, what have you done? And I love Jesus' response. He says, why were you looking for me? I promise you, if I lose my son for three days at Kentucky Kingdom, he comes talking about, why are you looking for me? I'm not going to respond in the nicest way. I mean, this is not a good moment, it seems, for Mary. She's anxious, but Jesus is right. Amen? He says, why were you looking for me? Did you know that, not know that I must be in my father's house? Literally, did you not know that I must be in the things of my father? Notice, notice the connection between Mary's remarks and Jesus' remarks. Je Mary says, Jesus, your father and I have been looking for you. And Jesus says, no, you haven't been. I'm about my father's business right now. Y'all feel this? I need to calm down. Y'all with me? Can y'all help a brother out this morning? Are y'all with me? When Jesus responded this way, Joseph and Mary must have thought something like, what is he talking about? Because verse 50 says, they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. It's like he's speaking another language. Maybe Mary and Joseph thought, Jesus, Jesus, the temple is not Joseph's house. Remember, he said, I'm in my father's house. She said, your father and I were looking for you. He says, I'm in my father's house. Perhaps she's thinking, the temple is not Joseph's house. Our house is back in Nazareth. Jesus reminds them his heavenly father is fundamentally the one whom he serves. And he's in the heavenly father's house, focusing on the things of his heavenly father, preparing himself for his public ministry. 
so that all people would be saved by trusting him as the Jewish Messiah. And hear this very carefully, by the way. Jesus is not disrespecting his mommy here, okay? On the contrary, he reminds Mary and Joseph that he is seeking to do his heavenly Father's will. He he has a greater calling than being the son of Joseph and Mary. As a child, Jesus honored his father and mother. He was a good, law-observant Jew. He, He followed that fifth commandment, didn't he? He followed that honor your mother and father commandment. And Joseph and Mary are good, law-observant Jews as well, who raised a law-observant, God-honoring child. Jesus is not a rebellious 12-year-old here, folks. But to the contrary, he's making the point that he has a greater calling. He's not here just to stay in their home. He's here to grow up in the Lord and go out on mission to die on the cross and to resurrect from the dead and to save the world from their sins, those who repent and follow Christ. That's his ultimate destiny. But look at verse 51. Jesus went down with them and came to Nazareth. And notice what it says. He was submissive to them. He obeyed his parents. But he recognizes that God's will is greater than theirs. He came to save the poor, the marginalized, the rich, the elite, the oppressed, male and female, Jews and Gentiles. That is his mission. In one sense, Mary and Joseph are focusing on the good thing. Jesus is focusing on the great thing. After Jesus spoke these words... To Mary, verse 51 says, she treasured them in her heart. And then notice verse 52. Verse 52 says, this is the same verse. It's a verse that's very similar to the verse that Pastor Jamal preached last last week from verse 40. Jesus increased, verse 52, in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. I think this means Jesus grew in biblical wisdom. As he gave his mind and life to the service of God and to his word. He continued to grow strong in the word of God. How do you think, I can't wait till we get to Luke 4. How do you think he defeats the devil in Luke 4? But because he's God, yes. But he's also using the word of God to defeat him. And by the way, the devil is actually quoting verses to Jesus in Luke 4. And Jesus is correcting his bad interpretation of those verses. He grew up in the Lord. He grew grew in in devoting his mind to the Lord. Now, hear this, all right? You theologians in the room, some of y'all are here. I know y'all are listening carefully. Y'all can clean it up after the service if you want. But here's the basic point. He's 100% God, 100% man, but he grew in his knowledge of God, right? Just like he grew from being a 12-year-old to the age of maturity, right? That's what it means, I think, when he says he grew up. 
in biblical wisdom, but he also grew up in stature. He became physically strong. Have you ever asked yourself, why doesn't Jesus go to the cross when he's 12? Answer, because he's a child. And children, as we all know, because we were a child sometimes, they have all kinds of things they got to work through. The brains are forming and developing. I think this is right because you see in Luke 3, verse 23, that Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his public ministry. He grew in biblical wisdom. He grew physically. He got stronger. He hit puberty. But Jesus also, Luke says, received honor from God and from people because he had a good reputation in the Jewish community. Very quickly, two applications. Number one, let me apply this generally. Number one, grow in the scriptures, brothers and sisters. Let's pursue opportunities to grow in the scriptures together as a church. I'll give you five practical ways we can do this. One, come to church regularly and listen to preaching. Amen? Amen. And prepare yourselves before you come. Before you eat, you wash your hands, you set the table. Before you come to church and eat, get ready. Pray. Ask the Spirit to give you a word. I've totally changed how I view sermons the last several years by being a member here at Midtown. I want to come and hear a word from my pastor, from God. And I'm listening, and I'm looking, and I'm asking God to show me something from his word, and to show y'all something from his word in the moment of my hearing of it. Because what I need is not just to get intellectually fat with knowledge. I need transformation, folks. I need to be lifted up from a pit of despair. And if you come ready to listen to the Word of God, listening for a word for you, asking God to give you a specific message in the moment that you hear it, He might do something. Y'all want me to calm down? Second practical thing. Have consistent personal devotions. Now, don't feel guilty if you miss a day or a week or a month. Life is busy. But read the Bible for yourselves, for ourselves. Thank God we have pastors here who teach us, <clears throat> excuse me, and Sunday morning, <clears throat> excuse me, is essential to the spiritual life of our church. But we all need more Bible in our lives than we can get on Sunday morning. Sunday morning is about two hours, maybe. And our sermons are maybe 40 minutes or less. And I thank God for every minute of every sermon that we hear here. I told Pastor Jamal, I'm so thankful for the care with which he chooses our sermon series and the way he prays over those series, because every one impacts me in an amazing way that I never thought it would impact me. The moments I've come to this place on Sunday, I've heard the choir, I almost said the choir, I heard the, well, the choir too sometimes, heard the worship team sing, because they get the sermons before we get the sermons, and they start preparing their worship services, and, and I hear Pastor Jamal preach, or another pastor, and I'm moved to take further steps toward Christ, as opposed to away from Christ. So we need Sunday morning. 
But we need more than Sunday morning. Read the Bible for yourselves. Let's commit to reading the Bible devotionally. Let's ask the Bible hard questions when we read it. Let's take notes. Let's mark it up. Let's underline verses. Let's preach it to ourselves. Meditate on it. Memorize it. Study it. Seek to understand it. Discuss it with others. Share it with others. Let's ask the Spirit to help us obey it, live it, love it, apply it. And if you have a hard time reading the Bible, listen to audio. God uses that too. The Spirit can use the Word of God regardless of the means by which you receive it. Because we want to know God. To quote J.I. Packer, we don't only want to know about Him. Knowledge about God will kill you if you don't know God. Read J.I. Packer, Knowing God. Mm -mm -mm. Read it. Read the Bible first. (laughs) Third application, or third practical thing, equipping classes. Take advantage, if possible, and the schedule allows, of equipping classes. Men and women, women's equipping classes that are coming up in the spring and in the fall. If your schedule allows, take advantage of those. Fourth, fellowship. Let's create space in our lives for fellowship in the Lord around his word. You know what some of the most encouraging things for me is as a believer? is to be in a room with some brothers and sisters in Christ with my Bible open and just talking about the Bible together, thinking about the Bible together, thinking about how it applies together, or having a meal and in one moment you're talking about the turkey and the next moment you're talking about the Holy Spirit. You know, you need to create space in your life for biblical and theological conversation. Now, again, not just to show up and try to impress people what you know, but to edify each other. Because I don't want to just eat on Sunday. I want to eat every day. Five, pursue mentorship. Younger Christians, pursue mentorship from mature Christians who can help you grow strong in the Lord. If you are a mature Christian... Ask yourself, does your life give you the space to invest into a younger Christian? And we all don't have space to do that. And the most important responsibility is our own house first. It's no good for me to be trying to disciple everybody else and neglect my own family, right? But here's the question I'm asking is, is there there an opportunity that God might want to give you to be one of those who doesn't just receive from the body, but who gives to the body? who helps train younger brothers and sisters up in the Lord. And if you're a younger Christian, you ought to take the initiative and reach out. Ask your pastor if they can recommend somebody, or your pastors, they can recommend somebody. I have three minutes left. I'm going to try to finish right before that time is up, okay? But I want to say this. An encouraging word again. This may seem a little bit overwhelming. Because we all have insecurity issues. I have insecurity issues. And we might feel not, uh, not adequate to be able to, to train our families or to mentor people in the Lord. But I want you to hear this very clearly, okay? You do not need a theological education to grow strong in the Scriptures. And I want you to hear that. Because in a church like ours that has people who have a lot of theological education, and praise God for theological education, I don't even feel the need to nuance this. So I'm just going to keep talking. 
We have a lot of people with a lot of theological education, and we are in close proximity of a seminary, and we might feel like, some of us, that we need that to be useful to the kingdom or to train someone up in the Lord. I, I, I want to say to you that, that if you think that, stop believing the lie. A godly brother or sister in Christ, filled with the Spirit, who walks with Jesus and reads God's Word, is equipped to help others grow strong in the Scriptures. And pastors are here to help further equip you. That's why we have equipping classes. I'd much rather learn from a godly believer than an educated fool who doesn't walk with Christ. And some of it, and I, I, look, I love my life's devoted to theological education, okay? I love seminary students. I graduated four times with four different theological degrees. And I'm not trying to impress you. I'm just, I'm just prefacing my comments here. Some of us who have theological education, we struggle with arrogance, pride, we're argumentative, we're crabby. We have a know-it-all attitude, and when we show up, we hijack conversations or Bible studies, as opposed to asking ourselves, how can we mutually edify one another? And one of the things, and this is real, folks, look, I'm not trying to be like um, false humility here. One of the things I have to fight regularly in my life is just pride. And one of the things that has helped me as a believer is being a member at this church around spirit-filled people who love Jesus and don't have a lick of theological education. That's an Eastern Kentucky word, folks. Lick. That's where I'm from. Lick. I'll translate after the service what lick means. So if you're walking in the spirit, you're reading God's word, you can help others grow strong in the scriptures. Second application. I'm bringing it to a close here. If you're not a Christian, turn from your sin and give your life to Christ. He died on the cross to save us from God's wrath. And the only way you can grow strong in the Lord is to have your sins forgiven. And the only way you can have your sins forgiven is to have a relationship with Jesus. So I invite you to turn from your sin right now. Ask Jesus to come into your life and save you, and he will. It will change your life. No, life will not be easier. It might get harder. And the Bible won't become clearer. It might become more unclear. The point I'm making to you is, is that your life in Christ is the first step toward growing strong in the Lord. So brothers and sisters, Jesus is the promised Savior of the world who grew strong under God's favor. May God help us to go forth and do likewise. Amen. Let's pray. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit sojournchurch.com slash midtown.